0: Where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection, they all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, back again with Ronnie Feldman for another episode of Creativity and Compliance. Today, we're going to take up the somewhat interesting topic of, or question rather, is compliance training overrated? So, Ronnie, I know you've thought about this and you've written about this. Well, what do you think about is compliance training overrated? Well,
1: so I freely admit that I titled that article that way to be slightly provocative. There's no doubt in my mind that effective ethics compliance training is. A critical part of mitigating risk in the company. And maybe we'll spend a whole other podcast talking about ways to make training more effective. But the reason I pointed this out is that most every company that I talk to, first thing comes up is, oh, well, tell me about what kind of training methods that you have. And the more I look into this issue about how you create a speak-up culture, a compliance culture, and a speak-up culture, knowledge and understanding, meaning I've been trained on something and I know it is only a part of what we're trying to accomplish here because we're trying to get to behavior. And the more you look into it, there's a lot of behavioral science that says that environment has a huge impact on behavior. So what I'm pointing out in this article is we tend to focus so much on training and often, I don't wanna say ignore, but maybe don't emphasize enough all the different ways that environment has an impact on why people do the things that they do.
0: So you had an interesting phrase in here. I hope I get this right. What is the forgetting curve?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, this is a lot of learning design people all know about this, but essentially it just says that people forget things over time. I don't have the stats in front of me, but there's a lot of studies that have said that 90% of corporate learning is lost within the first month or some variation of that. Basically, even if you have developed wonderful trackable, training that's targeted and it's creative and interesting and people may remember it longer, it still needs to be reinforced over time. There's a phrase that I use a lot that I pulled from a gentleman who wore a white wig way back in the 1700s named Samuel Johnson, and he says people need reminding more than they need instruction. And I believe in that. I believe that in addition to having some core training, companies could benefit by spending more time with short little reminders and reinforcements to keep that learning alive throughout the year. And so it's readily available when people need it.
0: How does conformity and groupthink affect the environment of not only training, but also the greater corporate environment?
1: Yeah. So let me start this way. A couple of years back, I was reading Malcolm Gladwell, The Tipping Point, and he talks a lot about this. And I pulled a lot of information from that book, that uh, I think applies to corporate culture and compliance culture and one thing that he was talking about was like something called the fundamental attribution error which is that we tend to overestimate our internal stimulus meaning I'm a good person I do good things we think that that drives us because that's how we think of ourselves but he points out that external stimulus has this huge impact on us so Conformity and groupthink is essentially the fact that we tend to be influenced by our peers around us, by our social environment around us. So as much as we think that we're individuals, if your corporate culture – and don't think of that as your whole company. Think of it as your immediate group, your immediate department. If someone, like, takes a buddy out to lunch – I always use that example. If someone takes a buddy out to lunch and then tries to expense it through because they feel like, oh, I deserve it, I've been working hard (laughs) – you know, I put an extra time this weekend. I deserve this benefit. If people say, "Oh, yeah, that's okay. That makes sense." Well, that's the groupthink that works against you. If that is peers say, "Ah, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. I, that doesn't." Those little acts of, quite frankly, fraud are not right. Then that groupthink can work for you. The main point being is that we are highly influenced by our. Group around us and how people think about us. So this is how ethics compliance needs to think into how can we tap into that group think to make it work for us.
0: Ronnie on this next topic, I must say that I'm of two minds, because as a son, when I was a teenager, I certainly had one view about obeying authority figures. However, as a father of no longer a teenage daughter, but at one point a teenage daughter, my views evolved somewhat. And my views evolved that authority figures should be obeyed. But I was wondering how all of that really works into the workplace, and most particularly the environment that you've been talking about.
1: Yeah, well, it is more a complex issue. I go back to, there's a study that a lot of people know about in the 60s called the Stanley Milgram experiment, where for those that aren't familiar, it's essentially they had a person enter into, they were part of a study, they knew they were part of a study, and they were asked to quiz a person who they couldn't see in the other room. And whenever the person got it wrong, they were asked to press a button. And when they pressed the button, another person in the other room would scream in pain. Now, what the person didn't know was the person in the other room was in on it. There wasn't actually somebody getting hurt, but this person in the study did not know that. So the interesting thing is they keep pressing this button, causing the other person to scream in pain, asking them to stop, please stop. And they express concern, but as the person holding the experiment says, keep doing it. You signed up for the study, keep doing it, keep doing it. They tend to follow along. So the point being is that even though these people, let's extrapolate, even you know, we may know that something is wrong, we may have a feeling that something that we're doing in the workplace is not right. If no one else is pointing it out to us, or if your boss says, hey, this is our policy. This is what we do. Many people go along with it, even though internally they feel like it's wrong. So this is a bit of a problem. This, is, again, goes back to why just training isn't enough. We need to socialize the idea that no matter what we are told as policy, if we feel intrinsically that it's wrong and goes against our values, we should feel empowered to speak up about it. And we need to continue that message because we know intrinsically that it's hard for people to do that because <laughs> we like to please our bosses and we like to be successful. And we're worried about all these problems about going against the
0: norm. Ronnie, it seems like if there's one theme you've articulated throughout this podcast, it is that if you're just putting on training, you're really not doing enough, that it is a much broader focus on influencing the social environment in our organization. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah. And again, there's a lot of training professionals. Even when I blog about this, some people maybe get ruffled a little bit because I'm not trying to de-emphasize the importance of training. What I am trying to do is emphasize the importance of all of these other things that we can do to affect the culture. It's not an either or, it's an and. Because To me, it's a little bit more intangible because there's lots of ways to influence culture. But the simplest way is to communicate more frequently and to communicate more humanly, to communicate more creatively and more frequently so that you start making it more comfortable to talk about these issues. I actually have a client that they do really a wonderful job. I mean, they do a wonderful job with their training. Their training, you know, maybe is a little more boring than I would care for, but They host town halls where they interview, the ethics officer talks directly to people about how the process works to get them comfortable about it. They push out little fun quizzes every now and then that tie into their culture and values. We produce some fun videos together where, you know, the message is very serious, but they deliver it in a way that gets people like more comfortable talking about it. And so uh, I use them as a nice example for they're doing lots of these other little creative things throughout the year so that an employee want to give something employees to talk about. They're like, oh, that was a fun video. We were talking about retaliation. (laughs) And then all of a sudden we're having a conversation about retaliation, which normally is not something people like to talk about. So anyway, that's what I mean. Emphasizing that we need to pay attention to these other modes of communication in addition to that trackable training that you're doing once a year.
0: Well, Ronnie, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but this has been a fascinating exploration and I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.